Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Well, good morning. You'll find out what that's about later. Um, kids can go in the back with Miss Whitney K through second. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you and you want to open them up, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We're in the middle of our anniversary celebration here at the church, our 50th anniversary celebration, and we're pairing it with this sermon series, uh, Seeds of Hope. What does it look like for us to be uh, sowing seeds into the next generation, into the next 50 years here at this church? How are we going to look forward as we are celebrating what has God done in our midst for the past 50 years? How can we continue on that faithfulness to us? And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. It'll be a bit familiar of a parable if you've been in church for really any period of your life. It's a very popular parable to preach on. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at it from a bit of a different angle, looking at a different character within the parable. So hear, hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 13, 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, and then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop of a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The Word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so as we're looking at this text today, usually when this text is talked about, when this text is preached on, it's usually focusing on the different types of soils, right? How can I make myself a certain type of soil and kind of the implications behind it? Because that's what Jesus tends to, that's what Jesus fleshes out here if you keep reading in the Gospel of Matthew. But today I want to focus a little bit differently, not necessarily on the soils, but the farmer himself who sows into those different kinds of soils. And what does that tell us about God and his nature and his character? It's interesting that Jesus tells the parable this way. You know, it's called the parable of the sower. I think maybe another way that you could call the parable is the parable of the terrible farmer. Because that's really what it seems to be like when you kind of get down into the weeds of what's going on here. It says that there's this farmer, and he's going out to the field to sow seed onto the field, and it starts off by saying that his seed falls onto the pathway. Now, I don't know much about farming, but I do know that hard caked in dirt is not a good place where seeds should fall. And so his seed goes onto the caked on dirt. It's not a good area to sow in. 
And some of the seeds, it says, gets thrown into the rocky areas. I mean, shouldn't you, if you're a good farmer, prepare your field better? And if you can't get all the rocks out of the soil, shouldn't you know this is not a good area to sow seed in because then the rocks will kill what I'm sowing into it? Wouldn't you know that as a good farmer? And then other seed, it says, gets thrown amongst the thorns. I mean, did this farmer even clear out his field at all? Did he not go and uproot all the weeds before sowing into the field? And the, the weed is actually... Um, in, the, in Jerusalem, in that area, it's like this big three-foot-tall thistle with like the sharp pointy ends on it. This isn't like a little dandelion weed. This is this monster weed growing in the middle of this farmer's field, and he doesn't think to go and uproot it before sowing into the field. And then it says, finally, he does what a farmer should do. He sows into good soil, which is what you think he should have done in the first place, that this farmer is a terrible farmer. He's being extremely wasteful with his resources. He's being extremely wasteful with his seeds. He's not planting carefully into the good soil like I think he should. But if we look at this parable and Jesus is teaching us something about the heart of God, when we read scripture, it's the Lord revealing himself to us. It's the Lord revealing something about his character to us. And so as we read the parable of the soil and the farmer, what does this tell us about God's heart that we may have missed? I think this parable shows us something profound about the missional heart of God. There's a story about Francis Asbury. You may or may not know who Francis Asbury was. He was the first Methodist bishop in America. Uh, John Wesley ordained him as bishop and then had him come to America. And Francis Asbury was similar to John Wesley in that he rode horseback all throughout the American frontier. In fact, I was reading this one story about Francis Asbury, and they said that his face was more recognizable in the American frontier than George Washington. And this man, he spent his whole life to the Methodist movement, to the, to the mission of God, and he traveled over 2,700,000 miles in his lifetime. And back in those days, the American frontier was really rough. They didn't have these roads or highways like we have today. They didn't have these pit stops along the way or hotels that they could sleep on. So he would literally just ride horseback through the forest, ride horseback through these valleys and mountains, and he would go no matter what the season was. He would cross streams and rivers and go into forests and sleep on the dirt floor on the way to town to town, house to house, sharing the gospel of Jesus wherever he went, kind of showing the lengths Francis Asbury would go. He wrote this in his journal one time. When we came to the New Hope Creek, we could not ford it, so I crossed it on a log. I mean, that's just kind of a radicalness of, you know, sometimes if my car breaks down, am I going to go to church today? But Francis Asbury is like, if my horse can't cross this river, let me just grab a floating log and go across the river that way. In the 1970s, there was this man, at, this professor at Asbury named Tex Evans, and he was invited to come and preach 
at a Methodist church in Maryland at their anniversary celebration, kind of like what we're doing right now. And this church in Maryland was a church that Francis Asbury would often visit during his times. And to get to the church, it was built right next to this small creek, but during the spring times, as the rains came and the ice melted or the snow melted from the mountains, this creek would become kind of like a raging river. And when Francis Asbury came to this church during that rainy season or the springtime, he would have to cross this, what was a small creek, now is a raging river. And he went to the church and he was talking with some of the parishioners at the church at this anniversary celebration. And there was this one church member as they were walking uh, the, near the river where Francis Asbury crossed. And this one person said, I, you know, I really think about how did Francis Asbury cross this river. And he goes into great detail about how he thinks Francis Asbury crossed the river when it was really high. And he's like, I think he got his horse and he angled his horse this way and he, he used the current of the river and he started way uphill, but then he got down and he was able to cross it by going. And he just goes on and on for about 10 to 15 minutes talking about how Francis Asbury crossed the river. And Tex Evans, the professor, sort of pauses for a moment, and he says, you know, that's really interesting that you say that. But what I want to know is not how Francis Asbury crossed that river, but why did he cross that river? Why did Francis Asbury live his life on the American frontier, give up a life of luxury and comfort, to travel 2,700,000 miles to share the gospel wherever he went? Why would he risk his life to travel this countryside? And I think the reason is because Francis Asbury was much like the sower in the parable today. Uh, Francis Asbury's life was caught up in God himself and in God's mission for the world. When we think of mission, when we think of our reasons for doing things for God, what is our motivation? What is our why behind doing things? Is it like the sower here where we sow foolishly into the fields or sow extravagantly into the fields, reflecting the heart of God? I think when we read this parable when we look at the why does the farmer do this or why does God sow into the world like this, I think it's because God sows extravagantly because of his great love for humanity. God sows extravagantly because of his great love for humanity. In this parable, the farmer is sowing with reckless abandon. He's wasting his seed, one could say. He's putting it on path, on rocky soil, and in thorns. It doesn't matter to the farmer. He's going to sow regardless into the field. At the heart of the farmer is just to get the seeds into the soil, to lavish his love onto humanity, as we see in the very character and nature of God. And this love of the mission of God being coming from a heart of love is this golden thread that you see all throughout the scriptures. Just lifting up a few verses here to illustrate this point. Uh, John 3.16, probably one of the most famous verses in all scripture. What does it say? For God so loved the world. For God so loved. What's the great why behind why God sends the Son? Because of love. 
For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4, 9-10 through 10 says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That the love of God, the, the reason why the son is sent into the world is because the father and the son and the Holy Spirit love us in our broken state. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5 says this, All of us also lived among them, them being the world at one time gratifying the desires of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. That God's love God's extravagant love for us, for humanity, for us in our brokenness, for us in our broken state. That's why the Son comes to redeem us, why the Spirit is sent among us to sanctify it. Why did God do it? Because God loves us. Why did Francis Asbury give his life for the mission of God? Because he loved like God does. Friends, why do we do it? Why do we do it? What are the motivations of our own heart? We think about why do we love those who are far from Christ? Why do we care about those who are far from Christ? When we look at the mission of God, it's fundamentally God's mission, that there is a single mission of the Lord to make all the broken things right. When we think of mission and our motivations behind it, how do we think of it? Do we do missions? Do we do the mission of God out of a sense of obligation because God said it and I have to do it? Do we do it out of a sense of duty to evangelize? Maybe out of a sense of ego that I can show that I'm smart and I can go and evangelize and have people come to Christ? Do we do it maybe out of a desire to earn the approval of God, that if I just do what God wants me to do, maybe he'll love me? But if any of that is our mindset, if any reason outside God's love for humanity is our mission, then we've missed the heart of mission. David Bosch says this, Mission has its origin in the heart of God. It is a, foundation, a fountain of sending love. This is the deepest source of mission. The reason why we go and do things among the poor, the reason why we go and serve the last, the lost, and the least, the reason why we evangelize should be because we love them like God loves them. 
because our heart has been caught up in God's heart. That the mission of God, as we see in the parable of the sower, is to go and sow into the field to proclaim the good news of what Jesus himself has done for us. And when the sower goes in the story, he sows extravagantly into the field, not caring what type of soil he is sowing into because it's rooted in a heart of love. As we read earlier in those texts, the reason why God sent the Son is because of love. The reason why the Spirit is sent is because of love. The reason why Jesus dies for us in our place is because of love and why he sanctifies us. It's all because of God's great love for us. And the great radicalness of the love of God is that just like in the parable of the sower, just like all the soil he sows into isn't good, the great tragedy of our uh, world is that not all receive the gospel. Salvation is offered to all even though all do not receive it just like all the soil does not receive the good seed from the sower. Maybe we look at the sower with that in mind and we think that God's love might be wasteful or that our efforts might be wasteful and we have to be very careful about what we do with our time and we have to make sure that we think we're doing like a good farmer would. We're only going to sow into good soil. We're only going to plant into good soil. I think when we think of missions, we often think of it more like uh, me gardening in my backyard, where I don't just take some seeds and just throw them into my backyard. No, I, I make sure that I have the right soil. I go and I get the good miracle growth soil. I make sure I have good fertilizer in the soil, and I make sure that the plants that I'm planting in the pots are good plants. And I have to make sure everything is perfect and everything is right. And look, I have this one good plant that's been carefully cultivated by me. Look at how awesome I am. And that's a big contrast from what we see in Matthew's gospel of a sower who indiscriminately, extravagantly sows into the field that is before him. That the sower doesn't only plant in what he deems good soil. He sows everywhere. Because here's the, the thing, is that what we think is good soil may not be what God thinks is good soil. That we don't know the hearts of the people that we're sowing into. And so we need to be like God and be like this farmer and so indiscriminately, so extravagantly like the Father does. Because this is the missional heart of God. And we do this, we sow like God does, we sow the gospel extravagantly like the Lord once we've reveled in the love of God. We sow the gospel extravagantly like God once we've reveled in the love of God. One of my missions books that I read at Asbury said this, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church, but rather the church was made for mission, God's mission. Do you catch that subtle shift that we are missional people and God created the church so that we could be sowers like him so that we could go into the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ that God's mission 
is to tell the story of the great story of redemption of God himself to rescue us from power and dominion from satanic forces and to rescue us from sin and the bondages of sin that cause us great shame that they no longer have reign and rule over us because of what Jesus Christ has done that we can be free and live like the Lord God has designed us to live and that we get to dwell with him forever. That this is the great hope of the gospel. This is the seed that Christ calls us to sow into the world. And as our lives become more and more enraptured in the story of God, as we draw closer to the heart of God, our souls catch fire with the great mission of God. This book I was reading this week, he said that the mission of the Lord is caught, not taught. It's like this image of our souls are like kindling, and the mission of the Lord, the Lord himself is like this big, majestic, mighty bonfire. If you can just kind of picture it in your minds, this great fire, and if you've ever been around a huge fire, a blazing fire, and it's spitting out these embers, it's spitting out these embers that catch fire around the bonfire if you're not careful. That's why you have to do sort of a a fire circle to make sure that a wildfire doesn't break out. Friends, I would love it if a wildfire broke out. Well, we have to do those. We have to get closer to the bonfire. We have to get closer, let the kindling of our soul catch fire as we draw closer to the Lord himself. C.S. Lewis uses this illustration that if you want to be warm, you have to go close to a fire. If we want our souls to catch on fire for the mission of God, we have to draw closer to the Lord himself. If we want the next 50 years to reflect the past 50 years, we have to draw closer to the heart of God and catch on fire as we hear the stories of those who have gone before us and how their hearts were set ablaze for the mission of God. I believe that to step into the mission of God, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. We have to be willing to look wasteful or foolish with our seeds like the farmer was. You know, my giftings in speaking to people, really uh, speaking words from the Lord, really opened up when I said, Lord, I'm willing to look foolish for you. Lord, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone. Lord, I'm willing to go to the edges where you are. Because oftentimes, just like a wildfire, the fire is strongest on the edges as it's spreading. And often that's where the Spirit of God is calling us out, is out of our comfort zone to the edges of where the Spirit of the Lord is. We have to be willing to look foolish like the farmer to get uncomfortable to serve God in ways that maybe don't make sense, like sowing into a field that has rocky soil, thorny soil, and paths all along it. You know, as I talked about coming back to this, uh, these are literal seeds that we have. Uh, They're blue bonnet seeds, so it's a great time to sow these seeds into uh, your life. And what I want you to do as we come forward for Holy Communion, I believe the Lord wants to set our hearts ablaze for the hurting and broken but redeemable world and community that we dwell in. So what I want you to do is I want you to come up as we come up for Holy Communion to take just kind of a handful of seeds. Don't take a lot because my 
though the kingdom of God seed budget is unlimited. The Jeremy Bass seed budget is limited. So just take a small handful of seeds, and what I want you to do this week is I want you to pray, Lord, where are you calling me to sow? Lord, where are you calling me to step out of my comfort zone? Where are you calling me to serve your kingdom, maybe in ways that stretch me, that grow me, and then take those literal seeds and sow them somewhere in this community as a prophetic statement of, Lord, I will be obedient to you, and then go and step into obedience to the Lord. Because the mission of God is outside these walls. You know, when Jesus was proclaiming that the kingdom of God has now come, he stood up among his friends and family, and he read from the prophet Isaiah, and he said, I have come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's this man who said that stepping out of your comfort zone with God is a lot like this. Jesus says, come to the edge. No, I said, I'm afraid. Come to the edge, Jesus says. No, I said, I'm afraid. Come to the edge, Jesus says. And so I came to the edge, and he pushed me, and together we flew. Friends, come to the edge with Jesus and fly with him to places we never dreamed we could go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We remember, we come to the communion table today remembering the God who was willing to be sent to us, to come down in human flesh, to die in our place so that we could dwell with him forever. And on the night in which Jesus was going to be betrayed, he took bread when he was gathered with his friends. He broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you whenever you eat of it. Do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father, said, This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. Lord, come and make us sowers. Come and have us so extravagantly into the field you have placed before us. Lord, help us to look outside the vineyard to the great fields where you are calling us to sow, water, and harvest. As we say the prayer that your Son taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.